Hello, hello. We are here with another fireside chat from Cojurans. Uh, I'm Sandro Mancuso. I'm here with Mesh and Jose uh, for, another, for another conversation. So today we picked a topic that is called Are Architects Needed? Yeah, so guys, do we need architects for anything? No, <laughs> and case closed. <laughs> okay, that's another episode. Then thank you very much for watching. <laughs> right, so um, we were actually talking about why I asked the question, right? And often there is a um, an opinion within the developer community that architects are sometimes a nuisance. Right, so so that's why we're asking the question. Like, so the it's almost like that kind of typical view of an architect who who isn't really involved in doing any of the development or you know any of the implementation work, but they are setting all the rules in terms of you know what technologies to use, what components, what microservices we're gonna have, all those kind of things, and often it becomes like you know you have to. Uh, adhere to those rules even when they are causing problems and and you know if there's a problem there with any of those decisions uh, they're not the ones taking the the um, the pains from it and so they don't have that feedback loop and they're not you know they, they don't care if it's a problem for or even when they do care uh, it's very difficult to change their decisions or the decision change process is not good. So often there is a conflict if there are roles or specific roles of an architect uh, in and outside development teams, that there is a conflict between uh, developers and architect. And that's why, I, that's why we are framing the question in that way. Yeah, I think this is one of those things that, you know, where the metaphor of software as uh, as construction no or as as uh, engineering in the in the more traditional sense kind of breaks down a little bit no um because when you are uh, writing software a lot of time you're having to make certain decisions and there are things that you cannot uh foresee no and uh, and you need to adapt uh, in that sense so uh, trying to export something from one field into another uh, and having all of the responsibility on the you know design or the architecture of you know the applications or the system fall on a few people right that then their the role is to make it really clear you know what needs to be built and then they won't have to intervene and people will just you know be able to execute that uh, flawlessly, right? Um, I feel it starts breaking down, no, and uh, it, it, in many ways because, again, it's it's a very complex uh, thing, no, and that degree of of being able to anticipate certain challenges or being able to resolve certain challenges is not there, right? So I feel like. Uh, Architecture is needed. That planning and that maybe design of from is is needed. But uh, I do have a a conflict with thinking that that is something that only a few people uh, can do or know how to do. I feel like that's a that's something that needs to be part of the skill set of anyone helping to build the the system. So what what do you think? So uh, I like the the idea of. I think in similar ways, for example, architecture is for me it's almost like management as well. Architecture is essential. If you're building anything that is meaningful, you need to architect. If you need the role of an architect, it's like management is the same thing. You need to manage whatever you are doing. If you need a role, a, a specific person being the manager is, is a different question but then for me in order so you mentioned Jose a few things like for example we need to make some decisions up front and stuff I think that this is a very difficult question to answer without context yeah so for example what I probably would like to to, to ask is what is architecture in the first place so how do we see architecture and then given what we see architecture at the different levels what does it need to be done outside 
like upfront, for example. And then there is a question of who does that, right? So maybe you could potentially explore that before. So, so just to gain more context. The, uh, I have a, the way I, I like to think of architecture, you know, um, <clears throat> at what point it's design and at what point it's architecture and at what point it's an implementation and it's a continuum. Uh, the definition that I like the most is that architecture is, is are decisions that are difficult to change once they are made, right? So you are trying to get things right in, in the first place because once you've made that decision, it will be very difficult to, to turn back on it or very expensive to turn back on it. Mesh, can, can you expand like on what what do you classify as difficult to change? Where, where is that boundary? Of, yeah. So that's a very interesting question because uh, while I was saying that, it uh, decisions that are difficult to change, it's almost uh, depends on the kind of design techniques, the organization, the boundaries in the system, the dependencies and all those kind of things. So in other words, it's very contextual dependent, right? Um, in some cases, I would say a decision that's difficult to change is uh, I'm, there are two uh, teams or departments working separately on something and they agree on a contract, right? They agree on a boundary of responsibilities that lie in one area versus the other area and they go ahead and start developing those uh, responsibilities. Those can then can can get quite difficult to change later on, right? Or uh, you know, even like a persistence model, because like if you're using relational versus document databases, I'm talking more about technology, may not be as difficult to change, but could be quite difficult to change later on, because you know if you go if the 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 design of your internal systems relies heavily on what the underlying technology offers then that could be could be uh, difficult to change. Um, a, um, choosing a front-end technology like React versus Angular uh, versus something else, that could be difficult to change later on because you're building a lot of uh, functionality assuming a particular feature set that the uh, uh, framework is providing. I had a... So I agree, but there is, for me, there is one level even higher than this. So one is, for example, analyzing what is the system, what are the, the, what, what we, the operational requirements that currently, before we used to say non-functional, now I think that the, the, the term that we are using more is like uh, operational requirements. Or cross-functional. Or cross-functional requires because people, uh, when they say, "Oh, it's, it's a non-functional," then it was automatically deprioritized, right? Yeah. So, so, so then, so let's call it cross-functional operational requirements. So this is for me uh, very important because this is when you start aligning your architecture to the business. So, for example, you start understanding how many transactions you're going to have uh, per period of time. What is our throughput? What degrees of security? So, so when we understand how many users you're going to have and so when you start thinking about those kind of things, uh, we will need to create an architecture to support that. So there is an alignment of the architecture strategy to the business structure. So what is expected from the system in terms of its usability, right? That is one level that is quite high up. And, uh, and this is a level that is very difficult for uh, to, to get it right by a, by a developer in the middle of a sprint or planning the next sprint. So this is something where you really need to think carefully up front with loads of meetings and stuff. There mm -hmm. is uh, other aspects like observability, like monitoring the systems in production and you know, all this kind of stuff. The system needs to be designed to, in order to make it observability easier. Mm -hmm. So that's another aspect to it, right? So, and then there is all the technology stack, as you were saying. Uh, so just to conclude, for example, you don't, if you want to use certain technologies, and, and I'm not only talking about like the cloud providers, AWS, Azure, or even a, a framework, it, like commodities as well. Let's say that you need to integrate 
with a third party thing. So that there are contracts involved. There is money exchanging hands. See what I'm saying? So this is also an, a, a, quite a very big architectural decision. Yeah. The other things that uh, comes to mind is if the paradigm that you're following within. So, for example, you may have um, kind of you may take a, like an event driven or a asynchronous or event sourcing type approach. Uh, you may take a much more kind of more traditional approach. Those kind of things can classify as architecture as well because they're determining how the different services or components or even systems are talking to each other could be considered part of the architectural concerns, right? There, there is, is actually, a... sorry, go on. No, 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 go on. Go on. There, there is actually an even bigger thing. Like nowadays when we are talking about uh, much larger systems cooperating with each other, you know, in like retail, for example, you talk about these omni-channel experiences and they are talking about these smart hubs that bring bring all these s separate systems together and, and try to create like single view of the customer and, uh, and a much more seamless experience for the customer. Those kind of things can also be considered architectural concerns because they involve so many different organizations, uh, silos or, or departments kind of talking to each other where systems could be developed in very different ways. Um, and how you bring those together could also be considered architecture. Right? Yeah, there are also other reasons for some decisions up front. Uh, parallelizing work across teams. Mm -hmm. And some organizations, they have multiple teams in the same department, but they might have multiple departments and stuff. We work from organizations that are small, just have like a few ten, uh, tens of developers to organizations that have hundreds or close to a thousand developers in multiple departments across the world. So there is a need to understand, first of all, how do we parallelize work? How do we not, how do we avoid work to be duplicated, right? So how, for example, if you want to optimize for continuous deployment, you need to design the system for that because you cannot have hundreds of developers trying to integrate everything that they do in a single place and then try to release multiple times a day. That's not going to happen. So, so even the, the modularization is uh, structured uh, so that you can optimize for parallelization of work and continuous deployment architecture is quite vital. And this is not something that you do on a, oh, let's plan the next sprint and you come up with this stuff. So right? so what in that within that context then, yeah, what do you think is the role of an architect? And, so and it and, and also there's there's another aspect here which is yes, it, it may not be something that because of the constraints in time, no, it's not something that you can decide to change, you know, within a sprint, no, like like you're saying, no. But how much of that actually uh, needs to be either uh, the responsibility of one or, or two people, no, or or a group. No, versus being something that is a um, uh, responsibility of the, the teams that are building, right? Because that's also another point. So well, what do you think? Yeah, what's what's the role then? Do you want to go first, Mesh? Or... Yeah, uh, I can, I can. Um, actually, um, we can start by defining the different kind of architecture that you find in the wild, right? So. There are three very typical ones. You get the solution architect, you get enterprise architect, and you get technical architect. And I'll probably have missed one or two others, right? And the this, so I'll just qualify what I mean. So solution architects are often, you know, you get AWS solution architects, right? So they understand the services quite well. They understand how the designers of those services uh, have meant them to be used and how they are meant to be combined in, a, in different ways. So they they know certain solutions as in generic solutions and they know how to combine them. Um, and they know what the pitfalls are. So they, you may have, they may have experts that are database experts in this case as well, right? <clears throat> then you get the enterprise ones. Uh, sorry, Mesh, just to interrupt, would you classify just while you are in the solution space, would you classify someone that is not 
potentially uh, expert on a technology side, but like for example, let's say there is a is an e-commerce application. So there is someone that is specializing in e-commerce or on the payment and gateways and and uh, fraud yeah. detection. So. So is is a solution more as a holistic uh, view, not yeah. necessarily technology, right? I think would that's a yes. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yes, mm -hmm. those would also come under that. Um, the definitions vary, but this is just talking about more typical definitions of it, right? And then the enterprise architect is the kind of thing that I was mentioning earlier. You know, you've got various departments and companies even and third parties involved, and it's, they understand the responsibilities of each department, each area, uh, how information should flow between them, uh, the contracts that that may be uh, may happen between them. So, so they they're almost kind of ha are have a wider view of the organization and of the let's say the the value stream at the not at the software change level, but at the product level. If the all the systems create a single product. And they know how different parts of the organization cooperate with each other and and in the same way how the systems should cooperate with each other. So that's how I see enterprise architects. And then, then you have the technical architect, which is typically someone who is closer to the development team, sometimes even inside the development teams, who actually are taking all these, uh, taking various options in terms of uh, you know, I, we mentioned like event sourcing and we mentioned they, they do even have expertise in understanding certain technologies and so on. They may be doing proof of concepts and they're doing, they're creating the initial organization uh, and helping uh, the development teams break new ground, right? And setting technical uh, uh, guidance and those kind of things. So they are they're more often referred to as technical architects, right? That, that's probably more where, where the conflict is, isn't it? I think that the, the solutions and enterprise are, because they are a bit more detached from the teams. They, they work even, for me, like the solutions, uh, given the definition you gave, the solutions and the enterprise architects, they work far closer to the business than closer to the developers. And they have a much macro view, a much, their strategy is far uh, in a higher level of abstraction. They are not very worried too much about like how you're going to organize your Java code or React code or whatever that is and, and stuff like that. So they, they are thinking about their building blocks tend to be systems, right? So, or services or high level technology and stuff like that, right? So. The technical architecture is where things get a bit more blurred because they are closer normally. They tend to be. And, and I think that that's where the, the, how can I say, the frustration comes uh, from, from developers. And I, I, can, I can quickly try to report, like I think that I even wrote about, of experiences. For example, I, I felt very frustrated to have the uh, architects coming from outside my team and try to dictate what I had to do. Or me and my team, and, and and I would be really pissed off, right? So, but but there are there are levels of abstraction. So I was very frustrated, but but I also there were there were two situations that were almost opposite to each other. One was uh, I was really uh, upset about certain things, and I was reporting that uh, I was working with Mashford Investment Bank, and we had a CTO group, and the CTO group was where the, the main architects were. And, and, and I was, uh, and they were pushing uh, us to do certain things that I could not understand well. But my world was five systems. They were very large systems, but I, I looked after like mesh as well. In our department, we had five systems, large systems, but five. So I had, my world were those five systems and my problems were within those five systems. So in one of the conversations that I had with one of the, chief architects or whatever he was, uh, he had, uh, I remember until today, he had uh, Visio open on his screen. And he said, okay, almost like saying, come here, son, <laughs> let me show something. So so he, he, he zoomed in and said like, 
Can you see these five systems? This is where you sit. And then he starts zooming out, 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 nonstop. I said, what the fuck is it? And it's like, there were like 700 systems across the entire investment bank, 700. There were 160 front office systems capturing trades. There were 27 uh, consolidation systems or whatever that were because they were acquiring different banks across the world and stuff. So when we saw, when I, and then I finally understood how small my problems were in that context. So that is one side of the story. The other side of the story was also that uh, they were pushing stuff for us to do as a team, but they didn't care about our backlog. And that's the frustration from most developers come from, including mine, because they would come in with a lot of requirements for us to fulfill that they decided in meetings that I was not part of. And they would say, hey, your team, will need to comply to those things in here by X date. And I said, like, well, how, how do you want me to do that? We have deadlines. I already spoke to my product owners, my sponsors. We, we have other deadlines and stuff. If we add all that kind of stuff, we are going to delay and so on and so forth. Now, I don't care. You need to be compliant. Otherwise, this is not approved. You cannot deploy your system and all this kind of nonsense. So this kind of detachment, this, this kind of dysfunction in the organization was really annoyed us because we had no control of those changes. And quite often it was left to us to resolve the, the conflicts of interest between the architecture group and the actual business sponsors. And we had to, we had, we were the ones to have to handle that. And back then I didn't have the, neither the seniority nor the, 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 the authority to actually say, you know what, you both go to the same room. You decide what the priorities are, and, and then we'll do it. So see what I'm saying? But I think that there is a, a conflict of those two views, us not having the full understanding, but also people from outside not really caring about your all the every, everything else you need to do uh, on top of the compliance that they are asking for. So in this case, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, the role that... Um, uh, this person was performing is actually a very important role because what they are looking at, it's not necessarily, in a, in a way it is enterprise architecture because what they are looking at is, is the, how the business processes of the whole business map onto the technology and where the waste is and where things should be consolidated and where they should be, where the boundaries should lie and all those kind of things. And they're thinking of those things but the failure in this particular case is to not articulate those early enough for it to form part of the initial conversation so that the those constraints become the part of the cross-functional requirements, right? And actually the problem occurs when um, these edicts come in a, in a more ad hoc manner, right? So it's, there is the lack of planning in that sense, right? And, or the plan was always there, but it wasn't communicated well, right? So there is a dysfunction. So it doesn't directly speak that this, you know, we initial question our architects needed. Well, in this case, definitely needed because who else is gonna be thinking about those, right? You can't expect the team that is responsible for five systems to then start thinking about the 170 other systems and have a plan for all that and, and or do it by committee when, when the departments are not that close to each other in terms of communication, right? So that role is needed. But in this particular case, it's about communication and it's about forward planning, right? What do you think, Jose? No, I was thinking that uh, that, that is a very common uh, uh, dysfunction, no, so to speak. Um, uh, I would say that uh, even when it is communicated, a lot of the times the why or, you know, the, the reason why is also not communicated. So a lot of times it's just shown as, you know, just do this, right? Why? You know, compliance, whatever, you know, because I said so. Huh? Uh, and that is that is a part, that aspect you know, uh, that I feel is always creates that friction no, in in the in the problem right? because if i can understand why it's being asked then you know 
it, it makes it more palatable, even if I didn't participate in, in that uh, process, right? Um, but at the same time, there is an aspect uh, there of uh, not caring, right? Like that that silo mentality. Before when you were saying, you know, it, it is to us, you know, it falls to us to sort of like, uh, bring those two together and lock them in the same room. And that is the matrix organization for you. <laughs> like you have uh, functions and you have the uh, the projects and, and that that dual chain of needs, let's call it, no? Yeah. Uh, and having to resolve that at the at the lowest level is one of the you know the the main pitfalls, right? And that is very very common in organizations of all sizes when they're trying to implement something like this, right? And th there is an aspect there around understanding what those functions are trying to do and what what is important. Before you were saying like I you know he he brought me over and. Uh, you know, showed me, you know, started to zoom out and then I could see the big picture. Is it your role to really have the the whole picture? Not really, but that is part of what they would need to be communicating as well. Yeah, right? so just, just on that, like, I don't think that it was my role to, to certainly, I didn't even have, I think this is an important thing to mention is when we are in our world, with the systems that we are working with, because we work with them on a daily basis, we know their problems inside out and we feel that we are capable of resolving them and stuff. But when someone shows where your stuff fits, I think it is very important to, to put things on into perspective because then you start understanding that the, the big problems that you have are quite small problems compared to organizational problems, depending on the kind of organization you are and where you are in the organization. But like, but this helps you to understand certain uh, needs and decisions. And I agree, but that's that's empathy, no. But still, you're looking from from where he's standing, not from where you're standing. And you're always looking from where you're standing. Is is what I'm trying to say. So so your problems still need to get solved, right? And this is where another major part uh, uh, that I feel is as often a dysfunction comes in right which is closing that loop right and and having the skills also to close that loop right so when i'm finding something that doesn't fit or has issues or has no that was planned to be done certain way and you find that is not feasible then then what right do we push through do we you know how does that get feedback into uh, uh, into wherever the decision came from, and lots of organizations don't have that either, right? Uh, they they have the centralized, you know, overview and all that stuff, but but the the way back, no, on on how to make that better or how to evolve on top of that, and I feel it's a you know it's a an oversimplification to think that you know only a handful of people will be able to know every detail or every, you know, come up with the best solution for, you know, uh, an organization of, you know, 10,000 people. Sure. You know. So, uh, so that's, that's another aspect, right? So you have one way, which is, you know, how it gets communicated down and then the other way around, right? Like how do, how do you close the loop and, or feedback into where the decisions are being made? There, there is there is a skill to to this as well because you know when you said like sometimes um, there's almost like an authority chip on the architects because they're considered normally to be at a higher level than the mere developers and the development teams right and certain decisions that get made um, when you find the 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 inevitable caveats in there the things that don't work in that perfect picture of those diagrams, right? And even when feedback is given that those things are not working, the it's very difficult. It's all uh, always very difficult for the, the development teams to go and say, actually, this thing is not working. We need to change this. Or we, we need a slightly different decision in this particular area. Now, that might not go well with with their roadmaps and their plans you know uh, uh decommission x technology in favor of y right so now it suddenly doesn't go with that lovely little plan 
So what they do is they say, well, and I've had this like, the decision is made. Why are you? Why are you questioning the decision? <laughs> Just it was execute. made six months ago. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but there is a, a, a lack of skill on the architect's part in this case because you know initially when we talked about architecture and we said well architecture is about making decisions that are difficult to change. Part of those that is to minimize the number of decisions that cannot be changed, right? And to provide flexibility in the way that you are dictating certain things to know that things may not be exactly as you have so seen them and to provide that room for maneuvering uh, when it's not the way you assumed it is. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like uh, as you were saying, actually, and I was almost complimenting. So, yeah, because like uh, a different way of putting what you said is like architecture is also one of the reasons for architecture. And this is true for design in general is to make change easy, right? So, so that, that's that's a different way of of, of saying that. But but I, I was thinking that as a at the beginning, I was that there is more to it even, right? So that is to make change easy, and this is one of the core things about software design and architecture in general. But there is the the, the strategic aspect in terms of reducing cost or improving efficiencies in different areas uh so i mean so so there are uh when people choose for example oh, i'm gonna use a cloud uh solution instead of a data center and, and that, that so it's not only making change easier that is a, actually a strategic decision in order either to save costs or to improve operational efficiency and, and, and so on and so forth right so there are other reasons uh for architecture but but going back to the topic i find it when, when, when we ask the question, architects needed, normally this question is asked by developers, right? So no, not many other people question the architects. It's mostly the developers. Cause that's, <laughs> it would be weird, uh, it would be weird if you had architects. Really need to be here? Like, why aren't we? <laughs> no, but, but what I was saying, like, like very different, uh, it's difficult to have uh, different roles uh, questioning the role of the architect. Uh, but developers normally question because it steps on their toes quite often. I find it easier, the enterprise architecture and solutions architect. And also, I don't want you to have the impression that the enterprise and solutions architects are only needed in those humongous organizations, like even in much, much smaller organizations. That is still a need to uh, understand which technology you should use, how we're going to improve efficiencies and save costs and so on and so forth. So at a much lower level, even with very, very few teams, you still have that kind of expertise on the solution, on the on the more strategic event and, and be and align the technology to the business. You you just hit the, the nail on the head because I, what I was gonna say, do you need architects or do you need alignment around architecture? And this uh, is this mm -hmm. is the uh, one of the things, right? Because what those people are providing is you have someone looking at the overall picture and making sure that is aligned and it is fulfilling the needs no, of, of the, the whole kind of system, right? Whether they do that better or worse or, you know, if there are pro communication problems or whatever. But that is sort of what the purpose is, right? So could you achieve that without having a specific role uh, you know this is the architect and this is the you know the, the person in the again in the hierarchy that will tell you how things need to be implemented or are there other ways yeah. if you ask Take me this away. question uh, if you ask if you if you ask uh, if you had asked me this question like many years ago i would say of course we don't need the architect because i felt that as a developer i, I could do all of that and so it took me many years uh, that my view of architecture was always much closer to the code and closer to the things that I was doing. And I, I, I didn't have a, a big appreciation for the actual business problems that we were trying to achieve as a whole department, let's say, or a, a whole IT department, not only like my uh, department, but like, uh, so I didn't have that appreciation. And, and, and most of the time I didn't even want that responsibility. I want you to say like, what, tell me what we need to build and I want you to have some fun building it, right? So, so for me, the notion of architect was far closer to, according to uh, how Mesh described them, much closer to a technical architect in terms of how we are gonna 
uh, structure uh, our code or, or the, the, the front end and back end and the database and the transaction model or whatever else. And, but, but I had little appreciation for concerns outside my team or my immediate department. So how we are gonna make people more efficient or save costs or whatever else, everything I mentioned before. So, so for me, like uh, those other two architects are clear cut. The other, the, the technical one, uh, I, I had an issue with because, but then I also changed my mind over time. Before, uh, this was the last one for me. To, I agree that we had the, we needed the, the enterprise and the solutions, even in smaller organizations. But as soon as they get too close to how we build things on the, the internals of my systems, that's where the clash starts. That is where the technical one is. But, but I, I think over time, I, I, I changed my mind as well. So in general, I think that developers with architecture skills could do that up to a level. I think that once you start having multiple teams and multiple concerns, uh, we felt that, for example, this, this thing about having uh, developers full-time working one stream of work and trying to have decisions that would impact all the streams, I find that it's great in practice, it's great in theory, but looking back in my experience, I haven't seen that working well in practice, like these committees and stuff. Yeah, uh, we tried it as well, right? Uh, we mm -hmm. and, and it didn't work so great. Um, primarily because every team has a very strong um, bias towards their problems, right? And this is something that you find, and you know, we can talk about organizational alignment and you can talk about single purpose and so, so on. They are, of course, in an ideal situation, if there was a single purpose and overall organizational alignment and those kind of things, then a, so we are in particular, just to be clear with the audience as well, we are talking about architecture or technical committee, right? Where decision making is decentralized and there is a process to, to bring out these decisions and to create common ways of working on common decisions that impact multiple teams, right? And this is, um, of course, um, there, there, one is the, the problem with the, the, the bias, as I mentioned. The other is the problem with the skill set as well. Because thinking at that macro level is not <clears throat> necessarily a skill set that you um, have in, in development teams. Or even if there was, it's actually a trophy to some, some level because people are actually more concerned with, with their area and not thinking about the, the, the holistic, right? Uh, the other problem with this kind of thing is that organizing a decentralized committee like this, now this is not a community of practice, right? This is a, a, a body uh, of, for decision-making. And if you don't have some kind of tiebreaker authority in there, some kind of personal person responsible for making sure that it happens, person responsible for making sure that there is the decisions are aligned with each other, that one doesn't conflict with the other and so on. If you don't have all that, these committees don't work so well. But then if you have all that, then you have centralized authority and you're back to a technical architect. <laughs> so so the decision making but, process but, 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 go but. into as a committee, but there is there is a need for 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 ownership, basically. I would argue that uh, yes, you end up with a centralized, you know, group of people that are making those decisions. Uh, the the difference that I see there is that it, in some cases, that group of people is a composed of all of the different areas that actually could close the loop. Right. And this is this is an important part, because when you just have people who are, you know, this idea of the architect going to the, you know, it's 
the white tower and then coming <laughs> coming down with the dot you know the umo the the that's that's what you think of and and the problem with that is not that it's one person the problem with that is that is isolated from reality yeah yeah and and this is where i feel like uh, some of these uh, uh, other approaches although not perfect they are trying to solve the problem of closing that loop right mm -hmm. and uh and they are trying to do it in a way that maybe it's too idealistic or too democratic or too right like they it, it's like everything no you you also need the uh the skill set to accompany you know you, you can make decisions but you, you want people who have the right skill set to be making the decisions, right? Uh, so that is where some of these things fail. No, when it gets democratized, if you want, no, but uh, but you don't have the the right level of knowledge in order to make sure that the outcome is the best outcome. And this is yeah. where things like that fail. No, um, and I completely agree with that. But there is value in what they're trying to do, right? Like the the, the whole idea of uh, getting that input back into uh, into the planning or architecting of the system, and then adapting uh, on top of that. And this is where things like you know uh, requests for comments and all these kind of uh, practices around making sure that a change that is coming out can be reviewed by people who are going to be affected and can be evolved and so on before it, it gets pushed as a, okay, this is what we're going to implement. I feel there's value in that. Even if you're, if the people driving that change uh, are still just a reduced group, no? Uh, I feel like the, the major dysfunction is the disconnect, no? Between reality of what needs to be built and and the plan. The, no? the, there is a disconnect, but just to be clear that I understood what you're saying. Uh, are you saying that this smaller group that is trying to close the loop, are they a group on their own? This is their full-time responsibility or this, this group, even small group, is composed by members of other groups? Just to be clear over uh, that I understood what you're what you're saying. I feel like there's a hybrid uh, kind of thing. There are people who are full-time and there are people who are there to provide the information that is you know, specific to system and so on. And they may not be required all the time. Mm, and okay. this, is, this is the part. But they are part of representing the needs of other parts of, of the organization. They are parts of, of that decision-making uh, process. Although you may have a core group that's only focused on that, right? Mm -hmm. there, there is another key element, uh, actually, to having these groups or even single person, is that often there is a lot of innovation ideas uh, needed in in creating the, you know, the right approach, the right technical architecture and evolving it looking at new approaches, new technologies, all those kind of things. And if it all comes from one person or a small group, it's not, you know, you're gonna have a kind of a tunnel vision at, to some level. And providing a mechanism for innovation to come through all the teams and for it to, in certain ways, for it to be, to be as free as possible so that, you know, if you constrain things with too many processes, too many, uh, uh, it can stifle innovation, uh, but also having some kind of uh, checks and balances in there, whether that's guidelines or principles that everyone's agreed to, or a kind of an, a, a process for submitting innovative solutions, uh, you, you need to kind of provide that ways of standardizing as well. So things are not just turning into chaos where every single uh, uh, problem is kind of reinvented or solution to every single problem is reinvented, basically. I, I, I agree. And you touch on another point that's very important because in order to scale and not to have like that centralized thing where every decision needs to go through you know, a group of people. And, and then, of course, we know what happens now. Things get slower and so on, right? Um, uh, that that combination between certain decisions going through there or certain 
uh, let's call it uh, uh, planning or, or forward kind of uh, looking, no? Uh, is happening uh, within the group, but there are guidelines. There are certain uh, uh, guides that people can use in order to continue adding and solving their local problems within certain constraints, yeah, uh, that allows that flexibility. So a combination of both, no? having that, you know, uh, let's call it governance, no, that 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 overall uh, where things are going, what's the you know what are the main tenets of of how we're building this thing or or how this should work, and then having a localized set of principles or uh, you know tenants that people locally can use to solve their issues within those constraints. I feel like that's a very uh, powerful uh, combination in itself. No, mm -hmm. what, what do you think? No, I think that we are just like, uh, I, I, I would agree with that, but I think we are conflating uh, two things in here. From what I understood, because I, I myself also uh, agree that I don't like the idea of democratic decisions for very important decisions. <laughs> so everything that is very important, I don't think it should be democratic, right? So I think that it should be a, a very group of people, a few group of people that have that responsibility. They have the skills, they were chosen by senior so that's democracy, whatever. Sandro. No, no, no because you're talking not... about referendums. Uh, so, so yeah. they were, they were uh, so, so they were chosen by the, the, the senior management to say, like, look, I'm going to hire a few people with certain skills or promote some people in the organization with certain skills and stuff. And those people have the skills. The, the, the organization recognized those people as the ones with the right skills to make certain decisions, right? So, uh, but then what we are talking about is. Uh, how this group of people, this small group of people, can behave or work in a way where they don't stifle creativity or they don't become the center of the universe. So, but for me, it's slightly different. So, I still like the idea of having well-defined responsibilities in different levels of abstractions. So, you have you know who the decision group uh, is, but the group, and then as an advice to the group in order to be very efficient and have a healthy organization, they can come up with those, call it governance or call it uh, other ways, so that other people in the organization can be involved in that topic. Like in this case, we're discussing architecture and provide, so that, but they, this group is still, is the group creating the framework. It's still the one creating the boundaries and the ways that people could contribute to wider decisions. Uh, see, see what I'm saying? Because like uh, just like uh, maybe just a, a very minor point because I, I've seen uh, some bad examples of the of course we talk about the bad examples when you have a single person making decisions and, and destroying an organization from a single place right so making tens if not hundreds of people extremely unhappy or or depart, full departments going extremely inefficient and wasting wasting right? millions yeah wasting exactly millions. wasting millions with those five year crazy plans and all this kind of nonsense, right? So uh, we, we talk about that, but we but we rarely talk about the other extreme. At least twice in our history as a company, we had people coming to us, people that were hired to take over a, a department and say, look, I don't even know what I have. So basically it was a hippie fest, a hippie festival where every single team could do whatever the hell they wanted. And they had systems that they didn't they didn't even know about in in tons of different technologies everything could do whatever and of course as in a normal company people come and go right some people join the company they stay there one year two years three years they do a lot of things and then move on and another person with different opinions so so basically like we had different organizations quite significant size organizations where they had no clue what they had mm -hmm. they have no but idea this, this but but this brings us very uh, back to the values and principles that Jose was talking about, right? Because you know, architecture team or architect or whichever they they are part, they are a form of leadership, right? And we talked about the why of certain decisions as well, right? When we are making certain decisions, but not communicating the why, 
and actually articulating certain values and principles the base which are forming the basis of these decisions and uh, in a way nurturing the uh, the organization to to adopt those principles helps you one when you are making decisions as architects whether it's a group or body or whatever uh, uh, the for people to naturally understand the why but also for them to be natural allies in your decision making because you know you can be making many decisions at the high level but they might be following the rule of the law and not the spirit and you will still fail so it is it's essential that these uh, principles these ways of working these kind of uh, and the high level plans the objectives of the architecture group those are well articulated and the rest of the 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 teams buy into them right yes uh, do, do we think that uh, for me like w when i was uh, well as i was evolving in my career it took me a long time to understand that the architecture skills, I think you were touching on that, Mesh, are different. They are not the same skills that you have as a developer. And I think that the more you, you start thinking about architecture, the closer to the business you become. Because like, because the, the, the problem, I think going back to the technical architects, I think this is the issue that I always had is because a lot of decisions are still very technical. I want, we need to do microservice, or we want to use this kind of technology, that technology. And, and that is, of course, that decision needs to be made. Of course, we need to agree which, which architectural style or pattern we're going to use or which technology. Uh, we need to define the detail at some point. But what, what I think that the skills is like, identify which business problem you're trying to solve and then match that technical implementation to solve it. So that, that gap that, that, or that jump from being a guy that focuses on the code and the nitty gritty of the code on my tests and stuff to, okay, what are the business in, uh, uh, inefficiencies, even if they are technical problems, like being able to say like a technical problem is a business problem and do that. Yeah, market. risks. Yeah, you know, risks. Right? Normally, uh, you know, any technical change is related to uh, risks, uh, cost, or yes, a business. And advantage. the change and the change should be to address a business need, and and that yeah. could be an inefficiency in the uh, technical uh, in the ways of working, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, so so I think that this jump uh, it took me years to understand that I didn't have those skills, that I didn't even care about those problems. I just didn't want someone to, to step on my turf and say, like, see what I'm saying? I didn't want someone to come in and tell me what to do. But I also had very little appreciation to the problems that they were trying to solve. Or maybe they also didn't articulate them. But even if they had articulated them in the past, knowing me as I was, I probably didn't want to hear either, right? So, <laughs> because I was still focused on the technical side. Yeah, no, there is definitely an element of that as well, right? You know, uh, it's almost a necessity for for when you're starting off development. You know, I think Jose, you were talking about, you know, uh, JB Rainsberger's comment that, you know, junior developers, 80% of the book are about APIs and senior developer, 80% of the book are about amateur psychology, you know? So, yes, you as developers, when we are starting out, there is almost like an obsession, which is needed in developing those skills. You know, they are difficult to attain, and there is a lot of detail and lot of and variation and learning all those. And then on top of that, learning all the 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 kind of organizational aspect is very difficult. And sometimes you are, you know, starting out, and when you have teams that are more junior and so on it's difficult to teach those skills and show them that kind of perspective. Uh, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, you know, like that's why you sh it's good to have teams that are have a good mix of seniority and that kind of thing that can have that perspective as well. And there comes the other thing, right? You know, from an individual perspective, of course, you know, there are individuals uh, who may not see the, the problem in those contexts, but others in the team may see it and having this kind of team level view 
is important as well that you know they are teaching these and nurturing these people as well but of course articulating from a architectural from a leadership point of view making sure that the team values the things that you value they are working with the same kind of principles that 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 you are working with is actually very important for an architect as well and almost more important it's not important for them to say use this technology or do this but say well use these principles to make your decisions right and they will automatically come to similar or even better solutions but of course there is also a need to to make sure that there is no chaos right so so i think that you know ultimately what jose was talking about as well is that the problem isn't with these people making decisions at that level the and the, the dysfunction normally arises from the fact that there is lack of feedback loop and uh, flexibility in their decisions and plans to take that feedback on and evolve. Right. I just want you to flip that uh, a bit because uh, I'm conscious of time. So, is an architect the next step for a developer, or is a completely different set of skills? Uh, so, how, how do you see that? That's an excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same question is like a manager of the next step. For exactly, exactly. Right? Right. So the, manage, the manager, I had a, 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 a clear answer to that in the past. Uh, what I was thinking is like when you become a, a, a manager, you are almost changing ladders. I don't think that is a natural evolution for a developer. I, I think that you might have gone uh, quite far in one area and you might you now have enough skills if you want to not as a, as a natural progression of the ladder that you were in but also you might want to now experiment other skills uh other uh types of roles that you can benefit from the experience that you build but but it's almost like you are changing ladders in a way and there's nothing wrong with that by the way but i don't see a natural continuity but with the architect it's a bit more blurred so that's why i want to pop the question and so like, uh, maybe I, I, I don't know, Jose, I, I think you'll probably have a much better answer to this, but let me kind of try to answer. I, I personally don't see the manager that much different. I see like even as a developer, you need a lot of management skills and somehow and you specialize in them and you move into that kind of specialization. And, you know, as you go into one area of specialization and go deeper, you lose other areas and that's natural, too. And same with the architecture as well, because making decisions thinking about things at different at another level or a different level means that you know you are specializing in certain areas and you will probably lose other areas now is it a natural progression for a developer uh depends what the developer wants as well because you know nowadays there is enough uh, opportunities in in the you know in the industry that you can take any specialization, uh, you know, you can take a development level specialization, technology, language, paradigm, and similarly, you can take a specialization as an architect as well. Uh, it, it's what you want to do and it's how you want to progress. That may provide more opportunities in the context that you're in. You may want to make more money. You may want to have more decision-making power at that a different level. So I think to me, it, it, it's, I don't think it's a natural progression. I think it's a specialization. Jose, what do you think? I, I, I'm pretty aligned with, with that. I feel like uh, it won't hurt you to have those skills. Yeah. Um, so even if you, what you really like is, you know, you want to be down with the code and, you know, pushing features out and, and that kind of stuff having that knowledge of how everything fits together and you know what are the different uh, uh, say patterns that you can use and so on will automatically kind of make you a, a better at what you're doing right so so going down that route or exploring in in that area or acquiring that skill set uh, is something that I would recommend to anyone whether moving to a, a an architect position is the right thing for you that really depends i feel on the organization uh, because if you are you know it's a it's a bit like the peter principle no like you go mm. up in the hierarchy all the way until you know you 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 reach your highest level of, in, of incompetence, incompetence no? like, yeah. yeah so while 
depending on the organization, like moving to something like that may remove you from from that reality, no, of, of what it is to push out the feature. And that maybe is not what you want, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, we've had conversations with people, for instance, who moved into more of a, a, manage, a management position or architect position, and they're like, oh, I need to go back and like really, you know, freshen up on on, on this stuff. And I, I would really love to like sit down and, and write some code. And, and if that's gonna be you, maybe that's not, you know, ideal for you. Maybe there are other ways in which you can earn more money or whatever it, it, without having to move into one of those positions. But it's really dependent on the company because there are also really good architects who are, you know, very close to to reality, and then that allows them to make better decisions when they when they're uh, structuring systems and so on. Right. So it really depends on the organization. Where you're, where you're going to be, you know, taking that step, um, and and the other thing is, uh, I will question why it is that you're doing it, right? Um, is it out of you know, as you were saying, I want to earn more money, or want to have more decision making power, or, or curiosity, right? Like I want to be exposed to this kinds of problems that I'm normally not exposed to and i want to right um and if the driver is you know money or power mm, i will question that right uh to some extent um but yeah I, I don't think it's inherently bad it's just you know very context dependent no, on, on what you want to do yeah i have a maybe slightly different view so i think that for people that want to remain very technical, mainly, well, let me specify that. For people that want to remain closer to the code, I think that it is very good for their career progression to acquire uh, knowledge within the technical architecture in terms of architectural patterns, uh, some, some different types of technologies and, and things like that. So within the given matches definition at the beginning. So for me, incorporating technical architecture uh, skills into your skill set uh, is extremely important for your career progression. And, and then you can depend on the organization. Uh, those skills will easily give you uh, team lead positions and stuff like that. And also you should be invited. Uh, it will be easier for you to be uh, in certain meetings and influence decisions and even making some decisions in that sphere. However, if you want to go to a solutions architect or enterprise architect, for me, that is a much bigger gap because that is quite far away from the code. You really specialize in the solutions architect, for example, you specialize in, a, in a, either in a type of uh, technology as Mesh was describing, like a cloud or, or some products or whatever, or you define in a specific type of system so then the nature of your work is significantly different from what you were doing before. And, and the enterprise, the same thing. So the enterprise uh, architect for me, you use a lot of high level concepts in terms of technical knowledge, but we are working, your work is far more business focused than actually technically focused in a way. Uh, for me, so so for me, they are the the tech, the solutions, and the, the the enterprise is almost a separate career that you can go to. I don't think there is a natural progression because you don't need to go there to progress. You can keep going on the technical, remaining closer to to the delivery, the development and delivery of the software. Uh, if you go to those ones, you are kind of. Now pushing a specialization that moves you away from what you've done. Going There's a bigger distance PowerPoint from driven development. Huh? <laughs> Go Sorry, going into PowerPoint driven development. No? Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> become, it's so, yeah, exactly. You're best the, the, PowerPoint is, visual and diagrams and so there's on. A bit, Bigger, yeah, there's a bigger distance from technology if you're a developer. You, I mean, you do have those skills, management, architecture, all those you're building. That's why I refer to it as a specialization, both of them. But yes, you, you make a good point that with especially being a technical architect, you are still closer to development than you would be as an enterprise architect uh, 
uh, or uh, as a solution architect, not so much because you would be still be closer to development. Yeah. So, uh, so in terms of final words, do we need architects? <laughs> well, the answer is yes. After an hour. <laughs> you do, but yeah. it needs, they, they need to be, um, there are many dysfunctions to do with that role that you need to be careful about. Yeah. And then you need to make sure that you're putting in place the, the right uh, mechanisms to, to avoid them uh, and to make sure that you're, you know, getting yeah. what you need, basically. Mm -hmm. But you don't need a, you don't need an architect if you've got a small team with a small system, right? <laughs> I think this this is why I think that context is really really important. Yeah. Right. So you are in a, in a small company and stuff. You don't need the tons of formal roles and stuff like the, the, your feedback loop. I think that going back to what you were saying was that probably this is a, a, an interesting way to talk about this is is the the number of people and the feedback loop among them is much tighter. Mm. So you probably don't need that that. Uh, the role. However, you need architectural skills. Even yeah. if you are in a tiny company with two sure. developers, you need architectural skills. You still need to yeah. think about your production environment, your deployment, your process, your technology choices, cost, efficiency, security, uh, all of that, that stuff. And right? that's, so, that's a universal. Whether you yeah. have architects or not, you as a developer need architectural skills. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that then depending on the size and the structure of the organization, then certain specializations on, on the architecture might be more important. And even how those uh, teams or developers collaborate to make architectural decisions and which in which level, because as we were discussing, there are multiple mm -hmm. levels of architectural decisions. And I think that the higher up we go, the, the, the smaller and less democratic the group should be. I think mm -hmm. that if you, the, this is my view because like, for example, you, you, you don't, you don't, you don't go to your, I'll give an example because I don't want you to be mis misinterpreted. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I, don't want, I don't want you to be misinterpreted. But for example, I, I think that it would be an extremely bad idea for you to have a poll across tens of developers to decide which cloud provider to use or, or which uh, third party to integrate or which product to buy. Mm -hmm. so I think that would be a very bad idea to do that. That this is this is what I was coming from. So very expensive, strategic decisions should not be decided democratic. But like which testing framework you want to do, right? Which library or JavaScript library to do across the system. So then it can be democratic across the teams, and they could reach an agreement. That this this is what I was trying to say. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Are we done? Yes, I think so. <laughs> okay, so as always, uh, if you like this chat, thumbs up, uh, subscribe to the channel. But most importantly, if there is a topic that you'd like us to discuss, leave a comment and we'll do our best to address that. Till next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>